Hello, everybody, and welcome to Faded Mates. This time around, I suggested to Sarah that we should pick an interstitial topic where we are only going to talk about historicals. We kicked around a lot of ideas, but landed on Scotland. Yeah, I mean, she came at me with, let's do historicals, and I felt... Like, no, let's... No, you were no, you're supposed to feel seen. You were supposed to be like, <laughs> yes, Jen understands me. Like, there's only one kind. <laughs> That's it. Just one. Just one kind. Um, but no, we did. We picked Scotland because I feel like Scotland, there's a lot to say about Scotland. Do you follow... Um, on Twitter, I follow a woman named Lily. Lily80, I think, is her actual... Oh, yeah. yeah. And she... Here's, I think, the the brilliant thing she said. She, we were talking about Julie Garwood. And she said that she imprinted on Julie Garwood. <laughs> I think she's not alone. And I was like, yes. And I, so I think the reason Scotland's really interesting to me, even though I don't read tons of historicals anymore the same way, is it is for sure like the imprint and, and, and figuring that out and talking about like why Julie Garwood in particular. And then like why Scotland is just like a really interesting question to me. Cause I'm fascinated by Romance Landia's like of all the countries in the world, y'all. Maybe it's because men wear skirts. I mean, the kilt is part of it. I mean, the part of the imprint of Julie Garwood is those old school books where they were road trip romances, essentially, right? I mean, in their purest form, right? And it was a English lady who'd been sold to a Scottish laird for some sort of land, you know, whatever. And, um, you know, but he couldn't go pick her up at the border because he was too busy. So he sent his like most trusted guy to go in get a her. skirt and he was wearing a skirt and they would ride, you know, they would ride on this horse and she would hurt like her bottom would hurt. And then they would have to stop overnight because they couldn't ride through the night because of her sensitive bottom. And then but of course, he was like drawn to her and she was drawn to him. But she wasn't his fated wife and he wasn't her, you know husband her betrothed and then they would you know wrap them then it would rain or it would be cold and he would wrap them in his kilt those kilts must be like electric blankets levels of warmth everyone always feels so warm in a kilt men are super hot <laughs> in kilts sure <laughs> so they would just his body he and her like she would be freezing cold and her little feet her waist that he could span with just his his fingers of course <laughs> tiny of <wee>. course <laughs> oh boy and then by the time they got back to scotland to the you know the laird they'd already you know done it and it would it was just a big mess well in julie garwood though it often is the laird right you got to fall in love with the head guy sure you got to fall in love or you know but i think that's part of it though like that's part of the draw of scotland like everybody's sort of a head guy because yeah, these are that's all like true. medievals, right? I mean, oh yeah, they're not anymore. A lot of us. I've written a Scott book. It was set in Victorian England. Um, but you know, let's be honest. The appeal of the Scotsman is the like exotic, like bestial, primitive. Like, I know. I'm sorry, people from Scotland. Dude. You all seem very nice, not like that at all. Oh, they. Love I it. think. <laughs> You know what's actually really interesting to me? You, I know that we both listened to the Heaving Bosoms podcast, mm -hmm. and they call this, like, instead, you're, like, using this official word, medieval, and they use the word Highland Times. <laughs> Highlander Times. And 
There's something so perfect about that to me because it really is romanticizing, right? It's romanticizing all romances, but particularly sort of the Highlander, the rough, rugged individual, um, the, the clan. Everything is waved away in Scotland. Everything is green and beautiful. No one's ever cold. It's I've been to Scotland like six times in my life. Every time I've been there, it's been freezing. I've had to buy one of those sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> the truth of Scotland, I mean, look, I will say Scotland is totally bananas stunning yeah. at any time of the year. But, um, you know, like Scotland is a, it's shorthand for something. Yeah. And I, I would love for us to unpack that. I'm really interested in it. I think the other thing about Julie Garwood, though, and maybe I'll start if I can start talking please, about. Please, please. When I was really torn, by the way. Which one to pick? God, I know. Well, and I was like, should I pick the secret or should I pick the bride? Because those are definitely my two favorites. And I'm now, you can't see me, Romance Landy. I'm holding them up because I oh, have my. She's got, she's got the original secret. Why were the paperbacks like yellow on the edges? Do you know that? I don't know. It's not attractive at all. You know, I can ask somebody and we'll, we can come back to it. <gasps> Will you ask somebody? It's just not attractive at all. All right. So I but I, I really do think that the secret is the one that I read the most. And I, I'm going to tell you why, because it's not just about. Well, let me tell you, like, really quickly, like the summary, right? Judith Hampton is a young English girl, and she meets her best friend, Frances Catherine, at a, like, a a fair, a festival or whatever, uh, like, right on the border. And Frances Catherine is Scottish, and Judith is English, and they're not supposed to be friends, but they're really little, and they are. And the thing about this book, it's not just a romance. It's about female friendship Mm -hmm. and about female enemies, and about like women in general and the I, I, this book still, I think, is I mean, that's the imprint, too, that like women are in charge of their own destiny, even if men think they can't be in romance. Yep. So I imprinted like, yes, the romance part and the Highlander part, but also that female friendship is important and that romances that really respect that women will do anything for each other. Mm-hmm. Um it's really powerful in this book. And that's another big part, I think, of the imprint for me. Julie Garwood always did that so well. There were always strong uh, secondary female characters in her books. And to be totally honest, a lot of the old school romance writers did not do that. Yeah. Joanna Lindsay was really great at um, families, like brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. But she never really did the kind of friends. Um, and Judith McNaught was sort of mainly she mainly wrote like loners loner heroines yeah um so yeah i love that about julie's books too so basically what happens is um they meet as girls and then it's then they're young women i'm sure they're 19 or whatever but you know they're probably even younger than that they were always so young god they were so so young. young Oh, well, anyway, Jude, uh, Frances Catherine is pregnant and she's really worried that she's going to die during childbirth. And she sends for her best friend, Judith, who essentially has promised that that's not going to happen to her. And Judith, even though it's forbidden, has learned everything she can about midwifery. And so she um, essentially Frances Catherine's brother-in-law is the laird, Ian Maitland. And he, I know he's a great hero. And he essentially promises his brother like, sure, I'll go get your wife's friend without really realizing what he was getting there, into. He's going to go pick her he's up. He's going to go pick her up. Wrap her in a kilt. <laughs> oh, God. With his really 
handsome men, right? God, I didn't wrap a, I didn't wrap a heroin in a kilt at all in my Scottish book. What a fucking mistake that was. I <laughs> apologize, Missed opportunity. No, I'm going like, to write a second epilogue. I, I would say, just do it, write a second, like, just do it on Twitter. And then he wrapped her in a kilt <laughs> in front of a roaring fire. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I just think this book is really spectacular. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot of interesting politics with inside the clan. Um, There's a whole subplot about the actual midwife in the clan who does not think Judith has any business being a midwife. Yeah. Um, There's a whole other subplot about the priests and whether or not women should suffer in childbirth. I mean, this book, it has it all. Yeah, it does. Well, it should. I mean, it's, it's, look, for me, there were like four horsewomen of my romantic apocalypse. <laughs> and it yes, was Sarah. Jude Devereaux, Joanna Lindsay, Judith McNaught, and Julie Garwood. And I read all of their books. Yeah. All the time. Like, every time. I would just reread. Like, if I couldn't. Oh, me too. If I didn't have time, I would, if I didn't have access to a bookstore or a library, like, I just reread yeah. all those books. And I mean, she's she's the best for a reason. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, there's that moment. So uh, this is not the secret. This is the bride, which is many many people's favorite Garwood book. I was really torn about which one to talk to, but I really wanted to talk about this female friendship thing. And Jamie and the bride is it, it's she's really alone. It's not really her own doing. But I think that was like what tipped it over to the secret for me. Yeah. Well, there's that great, I mean, and I talk about being imprinted, right? So we've, I don't think we've talked about it yet, but I'm sure at some point, because Cressley, we're going to talk about heroes who say things like, you're mine. Oh, yeah. A lot of people have a lot of opinions about it. My opinion is, yes, please, more. In real life, I'd be like, I'm my own. Let me put your head on a pike. (laughs) (laughs) In a romance? I'm like, yes, you're his, girl, you are his. And the reason why is because there's this amazing quote from The Bride where Alec brings uh, his new bride home to, to... scotland to his clan and he stands her up in front of the whole clan and she says this is my wife and he's and somebody says what she called kincaid oh and he says and he says mine (laughs) and i mean 12 year old sarah is dead on the floor and 40 year old Uh, sarah is also dead on the floor i will admit that i like i got the shivers it's amazing (laughs) It's amazing. You know what else, though? The thing about these Julie Garwood books, though, is even though there's this, like, you're mine, I think these heroes had so much respect for them and what they could do. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. um, right? And and they're both, it's about healing, right? Jamie's a healer, and um, Judith is, like, a midwife, essentially. But, mm-hmm. and, I, and that was it, too. Like, yes, you're mine, but you, I respect you for you, and I, yeah, these books, I... I've read The Secret so many times and The Bride that I feel like there are entire like sections of it that just come back. Like I, I'm sure I could recite them. Oh, for sure. Um, and then there's, do you remember the wedding that begins with the prologue and the hero is standing at the altar and yes. he's like an 18 year old boy or something. And he's, it's, you, you know yes. that he's been betrothed. Yes. 
and she's like a little girl and she runs up the she runs up the aisle and he catches her up into her arms his arms and he's yeah. like her friend yeah he he's like completely not interested in her as anything because she's a child and she's like i'm gonna make you love me someday and then yeah. it's like 20 years later boom it begins <laughs> oh my god Ugh, it's like really honestly i'm gonna get off this podcast and then spend the whole rest of the day rereading these books probably that's how good they are I know. but okay so here's the other thing about scotland it's usually shorthand for medieval mm-hmm. like i said and i think part of the joy of medieval historicals is that we allow we suspend disbelief more because yes of the location and the time period, right? Yeah. So things like if somebody today wrote the arranged marriage between a four-year-old and a grown man, and the first chapter was that, we would say like, Ugh, no, thank you. Yeah. Right? No, Gross. no, thank right. you. Because with medieval, we sort of like pull ourselves back from that story, and we think about it. I mean, like, granted, look, it's just the pre. It's the prologue and it's very clear that there's nothing untoward between these two people um but like i still think it's also it's like guardian ward romances work really Mm -hmm. my my pick is a guardian ward romance and they work really well in medieval because there's the power structure is a very different kind of power structure right Um, and we're sort of willing to they're bonkers the books are bananas and like we never think twice about it yeah, the the barrier for entry for kind of like getting into that story seems lower. Yeah. Right? Like there's less of our feeling of like, wait, but wait, people knew that shit was wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I know that shit's and wrong. And also like right? we're more willing to like melt into a puddle on the floor when Alec Kincaid call, you know, says mine in front of like a room full of, you know, crazy kilted men. Because it, it wasn't even a room. It was like out in the a clearing. <laughs> in the wilderness. <laughs> In front of his castle. Yeah. And like, we're totally willing to suspend the disbelief that like these guys who are flying free inside their filthy kilts, like on horses for like months on end, smell like man and not foul stench. Right. I mean, like we are medieval. You set something in medieval and you immediately get a free pass to like make things crazy. You know, I mean, we're only we're here because of IAD, right? Like, I mean, we love the crazy. We love the crazy. And it should be said before I talk about mine, like, we should say the McCarrick brothers exist, which predates. So this is Cressley's Scottish trilogy. It's set in the 1830s or 40s. And um, it's three Scottish brothers. And if you love the Roth brothers, you will love the McCarrick brothers. And they're sort of like prototypical right you know beta okay so my pick is monica mccarty's the arrow and it's book nine of her highland guard series which is an incredible series it basically the log line for this series is special forces meets scotland so, <laughs> so yeah how do, how do people know like they just dive into my soul and find what i want sarah <laughs> So the concept is like it's set it's set uh, during the time of Robert the Bruce, who is trying to free Scotland from the evil English overlords. And in order to do so, he has assembled this elite task force. They all have like, what's a dirk? Do they all have dirks? Probably. You know that weapon? A dirk is like a knife attached to a belt, I think. 
fine, I think. They have swords. They have broad swords, what they have. I mean, and they have broad swords, if you know what I mean. So, but... <laughs> Podcast over. <laughs> um, so, and then names like the Chief and the Hawk and, like, the Viper and the Ghost. Of course. And, um, I mean, because obviously they do. Um, so, anyway, this book is called The Arrow, and it is a Guardian Ward romance. It's book nine in the series. You don't have to read them in order. Like, they're all just, like, they're, like... Suzanne Brockman, but Scottish, yeah. right? You can read them in whatever order you want. Um, so the arrow is obviously a marksman. He's great with a bow and arrow. Um, and he has been away, like at war, fighting with his brethren, the, his men at arms, trying to save Scotland from England. Um, he is, uh, his lands are borderlands. And so there is a, there are, he's had raids on his lands before. Um, and years ago, I don't know, five or 10 years ago, there was a terrible raid on his lands by this, by Englishmen. And, um, a, a girl was orphaned and he, she, he finds her, um, like mute and, uh, you know, just broken by the loss of her parents. And, um, and he, takes her with him to his home and he claims her as her as his ward and he says oh wow interesting she can live here and he's like whatever she can live here like i have this big house and i'm never here because i'm saving the world and then off he goes i'm out arrowing (laughs) exactly it's a verb now i just made it so yep so he goes off he starts to arrow he he does all of his arrowing he comes back 10 years later or something and this little girl who he saved is now like 20 years old and living the life because she's like i don't have to get married i don't have to like worry i'm a ward of like this guy who never comes who never comes home and she's like delightful she's brilliant and funny and like she can you know shoot an arrow at 50 paces and she's just like a cool she's somebody she's you want to be her friend and he turns up and he's like, holy crap, who is this woman? Why am I feeling feelings for her? Yeah. And it's wow. delightful because he feels obviously like all, it's actually really lovely. Like one of the struggles of Guardian Ward is that in 2018, it's real tough to write Guardian Ward and not have sure. it feel gross. Yeah. But if he hasn't seen her in 10 years and now her, she's a grown he didn't up. know her really like he, and again, right. like it's that sort of balance of, well, when she was a child, there was no everything was very like above board. And now right. he's back and he's like, oh, and then he's also sort of racked with this sort of like, well, I'm too old for her. And like, she's my ward. And this is all weird. Like he sort of has the the cognitive yeah. dissonance in his own head. Um, right. And it's really delightful. So I recommend the whole series. Um and they're they're totally bingeable and and uh, Monica writes romantic suspense too. She really like has the pacing down here for these books. They're great. Highland Guard. That's awesome. Um, you're dangerous to my TBR, and I know we are dangerous to everyone's TBR, but I have no regrets. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about the madness of Lord Ian Mackenzie by Jennifer <gasps> Ashley. Oh, I love this which one. it's really fascinating, and you know, um. It's a book, like one of those books, like you just hear about a lot. I feel like, right, like there's a certain subset of books that you bring them up and a lot of people are like, oh, I really love that one or it's really good or it's doing something really interesting. And so um, what is um, this book is uh, Ian McKenzie is the younger brother, the youngest brother of a very powerful duke. 
And he is, everyone thinks he's mad because he spent um, years in an asylum as a child. And he, it's, it's really interesting. I found myself wondering uh, how modern readers or like how readers now kind of feel about the portrayal of him, because I'm sure people are basically like trying to diagnose him with like kind of modern day medical, you know, is he OCD? Is he on the autism spectrum? Does he have a... Well, Jennifer has said he's on the spectrum, that you can safely say, and as far as she's concerned, there you can safely place him on the autism spectrum. Yeah. And or, you know, there's another part where he has some um, like really interesting responses to like um, tactile things. He doesn't like water that's too hot, whatever. And, I, you know, so that was like interesting to me because he's such a fascinating character. He has, you know, like essentially a perfect recall of conversations and things he's read. He has like essentially a... Um, like a photographic memory Mm -hmm. although it was pre-photographed so i don't know what they called it back then and um he falls in love with a woman named beth ackerley who is the widow of a sort of a vicar and she came into some money she was a longtime caretaker sort of ladies not ladies maid but companion to a woman who left her a ton of money and all of a sudden she's an heiress And what I found fascinating about this book was like both the relationship between them, but also I found the pacing of this book for a historical to be really interesting to me. Why? Um, I feel like many historicals, not now, not all of them, right? There's a gross generalization are sort of a like we're going to meet and our goal, our end goal is marriage. And that did not happen in this book at all, right? They get together really quickly. She's a widow. She doesn't have sort of the like virginal, but oh no, I could never. Um, She knows what sex is and misses it. Yep. And Um, she had a really fine marriage. Yeah, right. She misses, she missed her husband desperately. She missed, she misses that sort of physical closeness. And, and, um, and because she spent her life I don't know. She's just a very different character, right? She's not of the of the aristocracy. She's she's like really come up through. Um, she's seen some shit, Sarah. So I think part of the pacing thing too was that you know very quickly he says. I mean, it's essentially the first thing he says to her is like, "Marry me." It's like the end of the first chapter or two, and and so then the plot becomes not really about is this the right person for me to marry, but like. What is it going to mean to have a marriage or a relationship with someone who the whole everybody in London thinks is different? And and then there's like a whole big subplot about um, like the past of of the Mackenzie family and what his brothers have been up to. And a police, a police sort of a Scotland Yard inspector who thinks that a murder has been committed and Mm -hmm. one of the brothers have done it. So I just found it like, you know, it. It was very pleasing to me that there was, um, I don't know, it wasn't just a marriage plot, right? Like, it was very much a plot about, like, we're two adults. Are we well-suited for each other? And what what is that going to mean? And I feel like that isn't always what I expect in historical. And I know that's, like I said, uh, maybe that means I'm reading the wrong ones. But it was it was really interesting to me. And I think a big part of that was about them as sexual beings. Like, they have a ton of sex, and it's very... Um, I mean, one of the first thing he says to her is that, like, he basically wants to, like, go down on her. <laughs> yeah. He uses the word cunny. And we are going to talk about this. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. Oh, it's oh. such a filthy word. I know. But it really, and that was the other thing. Like, there was no sense that, um, like, these brothers have seen some things. They are really, um, 
you know, they use their money. They, they visit courtesans. They, uh, they go to clubs where like, like essentially, you know, Regency pole dancers or whatever are doing their thing. <laughs> it was just really interesting Regency to me that <laughs> they're, right? they're strippers. <laughs> I don't know what to call them, sure. but it that, I don't know. I thought that was all really interesting in terms of like the sexual identity of both characters was not something to be hidden until marriage. It was something that was a big part of who they were from the very beginning. Yeah. I like that a lot. I like, I mean, I love this book. This is one of my very, very favorite historicals. It's right at the top of my recommended reads page. Um, and it has been for years because I, I just think it's so smart and I think it's so well done. Jennifer often um, leans into subplots like she, her, her books are very yes. meaty. They like, they, they off, they're a good place to start if you've never read a historical romance, I think. Um, which is sort of strange because in this particular case, you've got a hero who's like curious and you've got a heroine who's not who's atypical to to historicals. But um, if you are a person who really likes to read like mysteries or um, yes. you know books that have plot and I'm the first one to say like plot often gets in the way of romance novels. Sure, because you just want them kissing. Exactly. Then Jennifer's a really good place. And this is a great series. The whole series is really great. There's one about a painter that's Lady Isabella's Scandalous Marriage. I know. I want that one. I love it so much. The pacing of it is so different than anything. I mean, I think Jennifer just, she's such a smart, thoughtful writer. I think she, um, she's like a writer's writer, which is a, yeah, you know, I I mean that in like the most complimentary way. Like she just she's always trying new stuff. Yeah. And it was hard because I was really like it felt different reading it. And I don't often really struggle to like put a name on why. Yeah. And maybe it's just because I'm not quite as well versed. But like well, we talked about the Julie Garwood imprint. This is not the Julie no. Garwood imprint at all. No. And I think that's why I wanted to talk about it. Like sometimes I feel like, OK, great. I love Julie Garwood, but that's not all historicals do. And this to me was like it's almost like it's polar opposite. Like this is also what historicals can do. And I feel like maybe some of us who love contemporary can be resistant to historical and we shouldn't be. There's plenty of really like fascinating, like hard hitting layered. Like, it's very layered. layered. Yeah. Right. In a way that Garwood's historicals aren't. And again, I don't say that pejoratively. Like, no, not at all. Julie Garwood is not angling to write you a sort of meaty layered novel. Julie Garwood is doing a different thing. She's writing you. Yeah. I mean, and also she's doing it at a different time, too, right? Like, like the what we didn't talk about about those those early Garwoods is this concept of, like, those heroes are so impenetrable. Like, the story of, the plot of those old school romances is the unlocking of the hero. Like, yes. the movement right. from hero who feels nothing and says nothing and is nothing right is yeah. nothing is nothing emotional he is pure like active logic and reason to right. emotional being yeah and that's kind of true for ian mckenzie but in like a different way it's not a it's not the same at all like no. ian is so what he, unlock the unlocking of of um, well interestingly the unlocking of garwood's ian is yeah. very much about like unlocking his emotions period like because he is at, he is at point A of the book completely without emotional oh yeah anything and at, at point X of the book like he's pure pure emotion for her the unlocking of Ian is 
the unlocking of like uh, the the understanding of him like he's all there every piece of him is packed into him on page one of the book and like the whole thing is like unpacking unpacking him for beth yeah well and for and beth's also unpacking of like the the family which is why i very much would like to read the rest of this series yeah. Is, you know, like we often get brothers, but in this case, like they're, um, they're in a, <laughs> they love each other and they have each other's backs, but they also fundamentally misunderstand each other. And in a way, she's there to sort of help them, like make some new patterns as a family that they couldn't do without her. Um, and I'm, my guess is Isabella is going to do the same thing, but she leaves. She's like, I'm out. And I'm really fascinated about like what's going to get her back into that. And I've I love a broken marriage romance will come as no surprise. So same. And it's funny. That's a good example of something that like over time I've come to love them. I didn't love them. I mean, now I'm married. Right. So it's a a different it's a different kind of experience to read a broken marriage when you're married than it is to read one when you can't even imagine when you're 20 like to be married right like why wouldn't you just be done with that guy and move on on. i know i know so yeah i really loved this book and i um i i'm really excited to continue on with this series can we talk about connie because are you so now how do we feel about connie because i all right here's i'm I'm gonna long term Long-term Sarah McLean followers on Twitter will know that um, I have a great deal of passion for foul language and the etymology of it because same humans have been filthy for way longer than we've not been filthy. Yeah. And every single terrible word that you can come up with has been around predates, for a long time. like most of the good words you can come up with. And you know what? That's one thing. I, let's return to cunt in a minute. But one of the things I find really interesting about um, – about this book too was that I felt like it it used foul language and I know many readers it my senses from talking to authors that some historical readers read historicals because they think they're going to be sanitized of language like that and they actually think it's a historical when in fact it's the exact opposite I get and I'm so fascinated by that email Jen <laughs> yeah I get every time I have a new book out I get a month of email from people who really hate the word fuck, like hate it and think that yeah. it's crass and coarse and it would never be used. And it's yeah. totally false. I mean, fuck dates to the 15th century Middle German. Yeah. And it's, you know, so did uh, shit. It, shit, too, is real old. Um, <laughs> and uh, and and what's interesting is so there aren't that many words. So sometimes you're writing a hero um, like I am right now, who is dirty, who like, you know, I'm I'm writing a series about men who grew up in Covent Garden and like were raised in the gutter as like street fighters. And yeah, they have dirty mouths and like they think dirty thoughts. And so like if yeah. you're going to write a hero that way and then you want to use dirty language. But for me, Connie, like for me, oh. Sarah McLean in 2018, Connie is like too gross. Before we go down this road, I'm just going to say, Connie dates to 1593, (laughs) and uh, the first printed, the first printed use of it, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, is Christopher Marlowe. So there there you go, right? I mean, so it's for real. And it, uh, the line is, the whore stands to be bought for each man's money and seeks veiled wealth by selling of her cunning. 
well, there you go. Thank you. I don't know why does it. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because it's like, I feel like I don't, I don't have a problem with cunt really. It doesn't seem sexy to me. Yeah. I guess it's like quim. Is that your other choice? Is pussy around Quim is such a laughable word for me. It's really. So, okay. You can also. So, okay. Here we're down the rabbit hole. I have the OED open as we do this. So cunt is real old. 1230. I mean. Wow. And that's. So fun fact. 1230. And that's um, because there was a. There was a street in London named Grope Cunt Lane, which was where the prostitutes were. You could go there and touch vulvas. So, um, like, it was so much a used term that it was a street name. And so Interesting. It, it definitely predates 1230, but books barely do that. So, <laughs> And then there's Quim, and Quim... It's fun. It's coarse slang. Like it works in romance novels. We've all read it in our historicals. It dates from the 1600s. Um, and but I, you know, I still like pussy. Yeah, which dates yeah. also from the 1600s, 1699. Yeah, and uh, in in song that's a that's a it's written. I mean, it's a it's a very very filthy song, which we can link to in show notes. <laughs> Yes, I will do that. I'm not going to sing or or read to <laughs> read to let's you. Let's not do it um, because it'll take time. But so for me, for me, I guess like it's pussy, but pussy feels very modern. So I feel like putting pussy in a book, a historical, could easily get you the emails. Yeah, but cunny is just whew. yeah, it's real gross. Have you read? There's a book, and it's I I, I am. Okay, I'm my friend and I read it. It's called Cunt, A Declaration of Independence. Have you read this book? No, but I'm going like, to buy it right now. Yeah, it's like 20 years old. And I think it it was really interesting to read now. I don't know that I would recommend it. I And part of the reason why is because everything about the book is talking about like, like part of me agrees with it, like, like regaining our cunts, like as our friend S.S. Jackson has like a really long thread about how like women don't even know anything about their own vaginas. But at the same time, like if you're just defining womanhood by our body parts, then we are really excluding trans people. And that's not OK either. So I think part of the reason that that's such an interesting um, like dilemma, right, is as we are like, and we've talked about this before, as we become more and more inclusive about gender and there being all genders, then that means like defining your your gender identity by like what body parts you have can be a problem, is a problem. And and I just, so yeah, it's like a weird book. I It was like very powerful reading it, but it also felt just really dated in a way that I... I found myself thinking, like, if I'm just defining womanhood by what body parts you have, then I'm excluding a lot of people, and that's not right. Absolutely. Um, I think the challenge with all of this is that women have not na- that women have never been allowed to really think about their body parts in public the way men yeah. have. And so, it, what's the struggle is we haven't come to a place where uh, where women who are born with vaginas you know, feel comfortable with their body, right? And so there's a struggle because it feels like we need to fight both battles at the same time, which of course we do, right? Because patriarchy, Well, and I wonder if that's not like the real 
it's some level like the real appeal of dirty talk is that it's like one of the only times you get to really talk about it. Yeah. And without judgment, right? Like, right. You get to talk about what feels good and what, like, what is doing what and what you're touching and what you're experiencing without, without shame. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about dirty talk, as you know, and we'll get to them, I'm sure. Um, Since we're talking about books that I love and uh, foul language, there's a book called Holy Shit, A Brief History of Swearing, which is was the PhD. How do I not own this? The PhD dissertation of a woman named Melissa Moore, who studied at Oxford and like, had I known I could get a PhD in swearing, for sure, I would have done that instead. Um, and so um so this book is amazing i love 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 it and i cannot recommend it enough and i'm constantly citing it when my mom yells at me for having foul language in the house i'm about to buy this book although i promised myself i wouldn't buy books in january but i'm like maybe you're like well i have to know the history of swearing (laughs) obviously that's that's just research um so yeah and sometimes usually about a Two or three weeks after I put a book out, I get really irritated with all the emails, and then I just take to Twitter, and I spend a lot of time telling the etymology of swear words, and so you can always follow me there (laughs) periodically. (laughs) worth it. I'll just lose my mind and tell you all the different ways that we've used the word, you know, fuck in history. Um, fun fact, the word flying fuck, the phrase flying fuck, which you, which you would think was modern, you would think that would be yeah, like 1950s, right, 1960s, is like the 1700s. And it was wow. used to describe to it was used as a euphemism for sex on horseback. Maybe it's not a <gasps> euphemism. I guess it's not a euphemism. Sarah! <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. oh, oh my God. I have a whole post thing. about sex on horseback, right? I did. That was me. I felt like that was like the best thing I've ever written. I thought I would never top it in Romance Landia. And now we're <laughs> faded mates. It's better. Um, so we'll link to that in show notes. And I will link to, we will link to the image of the, it's a cartoon, like a a, a drawing of two people having sex on horseback. And it says, and it has it right there, Flying Fuck. So we'll link That's to that awesome. too. I'm so into that. Um, but I still have one more book. You do. <laughs> I was like, remember back in the day, we were like, our interstitial episodes will be like 10 minutes. No time. No time at all. I did warn, uh, I, I warned our producer, Eric, that this one was <laughs> going to be long because I was going to talk about swear words. Um, yes. So, okay. Um, this one is Jennifer McQuiston's What Happens in Scotland. And I have a lot to say about this book, which is her debut. Um, and I often find that debut historicals are are sort of the, they're the most magnificent historicals because they're usually born of like a lifetime of reading historicals, yes. and then you just pour out your favorite tropes into a book and you deliver this like magnificent thing. Um, but also because Jenny doesn't write anymore. And so I want to talk about um, just how awesome she is and how awesome her books are. Um, but this book, What Happens in Scotland, um, was pitched to me by her editor, um, you know, after I had already been writing for Avon for a little while. And and this editor, her editor said to me, like, you're going to love this book. You are going to love this book. It's yeah. The Hangover, but region, but Scottish. And I was like, <laughs> The amazing. Hangover, but Scottish. Sign me up. <laughs> so the hero and heroine uh, don't know each other. Lady Georgette, um, she is like a woman who has no interest in getting married. Um, 
And she wakes up in the morning and she is in a trash hotel room (laughs) in Scotland on like the Great North Road. And next to her is a naked man she has never seen before. And they are both wearing wedding rings. Whoa. Um, And (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) I I want it so bad. The whole book is told in like maybe 48 hours because they wake up and they're like, holy shit, we're married. And then they have to retrace the steps of the night before to figure out what happened. So it has That's this amazing. like wild cast of characters who are all who all have like bits and pieces and like parts to play in this magnificent story. And then at the end, you have two people who didn't know each other when they woke up in the morning and now are in love. And it is so, so, so good. That's I'm amazing. Absolutely in love with it. And I feel that I need to say, on top of all of this, that Jenny, well, first of all, before I say this. I think this is another good example of how Scotland, as a touchstone, like as a as a shorthand, lets us ignore like a lot. Like you sort of wave away a lot of things, right? Like all the characters are, um, you know, sort of wild. It's like a it's like a farce, right? Where all the characters are a little bit crazy and a little bit wild, and none of them really have like. But you sort of accept them all because they're Scottish, right? Like, everybody here is just wacky and Scottish. Um, And then the whole story's happening in Scotland, and so it just feels like the the, there's a – there's, like, a mythology and, like, a magic to Scotland that there isn't to other places, I think. Yeah. I mean, I do think, like, any time a book is set somewhere else, you know, especially in a historical where it's, like, it's almost always London, it does. It feels like you're really – you're saying, I'm going to do something different. These people are going to experience something different. They're going to be different in this different place. Yes. Um, And, you know, I get that. And Jenny stopped writing a few years ago um, because she is a researcher at the CDC. Um. And That's she was amazing. working on, um, like, Ebola, um, and she just realized that she couldn't do both because she was busy saving the world. That's awesome. And so... That's amazing. She She's still on Twitter. She's still on Facebook. She, she travels. She's, like, in Africa a ton working there, um, and she's basically, like, she's amazing in every way. And That's really cool. Uh, so you should buy this book and read it. Um, and my hope is that someday when Jenny decides like that she's tired of saving the world, <laughs> which will hopefully be a long time from now, but will happen because she will come back and write more books for us. Also, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that um, friend of the pod slash friend of Sarah slash beloved author by Jen, right? <laughs> so It Jordan. sounds so creepy, though. I know, but she, whatever. We're going to have dinner in Chicago. Oh, also, important note, Faded Mates listeners. Um, Chicago, early April is Avon KissCon, and there's going to be a Faded Mates meetup. So find yeah. us on Twitter for more information, or we'll, you know, try and put it into one of the episodes before then. Anyway, Sophie will be there. I will be there. Jen will be there. Lots and lots of other awesome authors who we've talked about on the podcast will be there. Um, Cressley will not be there, but she'll be there in spirit. Yeah. We'll just pretend. 
<laughs> Perhaps as a phantom. It's probably best that Cressley's not there because, like, it would be weird. God, I'd probably, like, lick her or something. Oh, my God. I'd be like, Cressley. <laughs> um, anyway, but the point is that Sophie Jordan has a Scott book coming. Uh, this Scott of mine, which, first of all, I love a good pun. And oh, yeah, for I sure. Lo- I love a this a this heart of mine pun. Um, but also, it's like kind of a classic Scotland, Scotland book. The hero's super Scottish. Those of you yeah, who read really excited book, about it. Yeah, the Duke buys a bride. He's in there, Jen. Yes. I can see you wanting to talk. <laughs> I know. I'm like, stop, Sarah. Let me talk about it. She's your friend. Um, <laughs> let me, but let me talk about it. You know, she. Uh, it's actually funny because I read this book. I got the Duke buys a bride at RWA and was like, I'm going to read this book. And I think it was maybe the first Sophie Jordan book I read. It's a good. And choice. in the intervening, however many months, I've probably read like 12 of her books. <laughs> and um, at the end of this book. The Duke's okay, so the hero of this book has a sister who has been ruined, compromised. It's my, <laughs> you know what? It's my favorite thing because I feel yeah, like ruination it's always is great. Oh, and it's always the threat of ruination, but she was full on ruined. And what happens is, I actually texted Sophie and was like, Hey, Claire is going to end up with that cute Scottish laird, right? I've been reading romance for a long time and I can see it coming, but I just want to make sure. So the idea that this is now like upon us and I actually have an arc. I've read the first chapter or two only. I've been a little busy and uh, I think there's a curse involved. There is. It's a classic Scottish curse. So um, this is possibly my the most fun I've ever had brainstorming a book was brainstorming this book with Sophie. Um, You guys, Sophie's one of my best friends in the world, which is why I try very hard not to talk about how much I love her books because I feel like it just sounds like I'm cheating. Um, But Jen is legitimately does not know her. Right. (laughs) Um, But so I'm just going to give you a quick overview of what this book is and then you should all run out and buy it and if you love a scottish book it's gonna it's gonna scratch every itch you have but basically the heroine has been ruined um and she tells everybody she says like i'm i'm pregnant and i need to (laughs) i need to get myself married and um this real decent friend of her brother's who happens to be a scottish laird has been cursed (laughs) And the curse that has been on his family for generations is that um, no laird of this clan will live to see the birth of his first child. And so he thinks he can sort of sneak around the curse by marrying a woman who's already pregnant with someone else's child. Because... Clever. (laughs) Because you can... trick fate i really wish i was like in a time traveling romance and then i could go back in time and whisper in his ear from like crestley land (laughs) that you can never outrun your fucking curses ever (laughs) hello so shenanigans ensue is all i will say because it's i mean this is this is pretty close to the full Cressley, this plot. Like, there's a lot going on. There's a curse. There's an old lady, his his mother or his aunt, I forget who she is, but basically is like, is like, you're not, 
you're not getting away from this curse. Like, I don't know what you've done. And then on top of it, there is the heroine who has basically – I love a heroine who finagles with the truth a little bit and then gets yeah. herself down a very problematic hole, like, and has to figure out how to get herself out of it because she's also falling in love. Well, and what I love about it is at the beginning, she's kind of like, okay, I – I kind of fucked this whole thing up and I'm ruined <laughs> now, but I'm going to be on the straight and narrow. Like, now yeah, and then is the time just, for me to yeah. do it right. It's really terrific. Um, and I'm not just saying that because she's my friend. I'm saying it because it sort of is exact. It's everything that we love about Scottish romances. It has all the all the hallmarks of a great Scottish romance. So this Scott of mine, it's out March 12th. And I'm going to go ahead and make a radical guess that Ooh. she's going to be signing copies of it at KissCon. Oh, and yeah. I, I she intend. will. She'll be signing copies at KissCon. Her local independent bookstore is Katie Budget Books. We'll put this in show notes. You can pre-order yeah. signed copies of the book from Katie in uh, outside Houston. I've been there because it's close to my in-laws. Yeah, it's a I didn't want to leave. It's it's a romance mecca of sorts, for sure. For sure. All right. So that's really exciting and definitely a Scotland book that we are all really looking forward to. And even though I have a digital copy, I'm I'm having a paper acquisition problem and Really, they seem to be coming in faster and faster, right? <laughs> and, I've got um, some problems. Also, stay tuned. Uh, Sophie couldn't join us for this um, interstitial, but she will be joining us for another interstitial. And she is joining us to talk about The Master when we get to the Game Maker series. Um, and she has a whole theory of Cressley and those Game Maker books that we will definitely dig into. So um, stay tuned. That's amazing. Well, we spent a lot of time talking about Scotland today. We did. There's a lot to talk it's about. Like a full, almost like a full episode. So, I think it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. Actually, it's funny. I go back and listen to our first interstitials, and I'm like, "Why were we rushing? We were. We could have taken more time. So fast. It's okay. Um. Well, so here's the deal. Um. We are uh, faded mates. I'm Sarah McLean. You can find me on Twitter at Sarah McLean. Uh, you can find me everywhere at Sarah McLean and Jen. I'm I'm Jen Prokop. You can find me on Twitter at Jen Reads Romance. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a review. Um, you can tweet to us at Faded Mates uh, or we're on Instagram. I believe it's Faded Mates Pod. And we would love to hear from you. And we are also always like open to recommendations for um, interstitial topics that you would like us to cover. And as always, if you are interested in any of the books that we're reading, um, that we're talking about, everything is listed in show notes at our website, fatedmates.net. See you in Scotland, everyone.